This is Jacob Ross with JLB Morelia. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. You're listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. Enjoy. The shindig has been kicked. Ladies and gentlemen, and Ryan Cox. This is episode 83 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. I am Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. I am normally joined by Jacob Bratz of JLB Morelia, but he is on vacation, vacationing, and my quote-unquote fill-in, that never gets Uh, old, uh, uh. that never gets old, Never is Phil Wolf, the Wolf of Wheelerai. Salutations. My favorite Floridian. Ooh, don't say that. Billy will get mad. No. I don't, I don't know. I couldn't choose between the two of you. I'd sacrifice myself before I had to make that decision. An, an adequate choice, sir. But what, uh, A, what's going on, but before, before I forget, because every damn episode, the beginning of the episode, I forget, please be sure to check out our sponsors, MP Cages and Exotics. Awesome cages. Phil's got some goodies coming from him soon. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then Steve Snakesuary, if you want some Venom hot sauce, that stuff's the bomb diggity. That cottonmouth sauce is, a, is is my favorite. It's delicious. I'm not even a big, like, salsa verde, like, green pepper kind of guy, but, dude, that cottonmouth stuff is legit. Very good. Um, so, yeah, please check them out. Um, and then tonight we have Kyle Vargas, the Clob King, the Lep Lord, uh, the Lep Lord joining us. He's, uh, he's focused on montane rattlesnakes and then he's got some vipera species as well. So we got a, a little bit of cool stuff to unpack. I'm very excited about this episode, dude. I've been waiting to like get you guys to link up for the podcast and like do some interview type stuff because Kyle is just, he's an awesome dude. And I've been following him for years on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And like the species that he keeps are full representations of what you'd expect to see in the wild. And then he goes in the wild and takes the same photos. And his photos are so breathtakingly clear and articulate that oftentimes you can't even tell like which one's in his enclosure and which yeah. one's no, in, I can't. in the mountain. Yeah. Unless it's one of the ones on like paper towel. Yeah, or like yeah. when you see you you happen to see like the light bulb above the snake, like mm-hmm. you know. Other than that, man, you'd never know. His stuff is breathtakingly gorgeous, so I'm excited about this. Well, you know what's funny is like as soon as Jake was like, "Oh, I'm gonna be on vacation next week," I was like, "I'm gonna talk to Phil," and then I was like, "I'm not gonna ask Phil. Hey, should we get this guy on? I'm gonna see." I was like, "Be like Phil, who should we get on?" Because I was gonna suggest him, and then when you were like Kyle, I was like, "We share a brain." Legit. Like, I am always down for a venomous episode. You know I Especially am. Especially these, you know, the rock rattlers and all that good stuff, dude. All about that West Texas yes, life. That's right. You know it. You gotta you gotta remember to ask him about bear drafts. Like, I'm sure he's seen them in the wild. He has to have, you know. I don't know. Um I guess if he's down in that sort of region, I don't even know what rock rattlesnake species they have down there. I think they overlap a lot with Alterna, right? Oh yeah. You know, I don't. I mean, that's I don't like know. the whole the whole mimicry thing with Alterna, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, man, West Texas, we got to go. We've been talking about it for so long. I know, long. man. I was ta- me and Billy were talking about it a couple weeks ago. We're like, let's plan something next year. And I know yeah. uh, Chris uh, at Badlands for Pediculture, uh, he had hit me up about us doing a trip or something out there, too. So I said, me and Billy had already talked about next year doing one, so maybe we can coordinate. And uh, I think Chris said from where he's at, it's like a, maybe a six-hour drive. I could be wrong out to that sort of terrain and that turf that we're looking for. Um and you'd herping all along the way. Yeah, and he was talking about getting like a, you know, let's split like a cheap hotel or something and get bed bugs and all that good stuff. Well, wasn't he saying something about like renting a Winnebago or something? Uh, I don't know about that trip, but I know like Andy Middleton was talking about it for Carpet Fest. But it what, never doing happened. a Winnebago? Getting, yeah, getting like an RV and like a bunch of those up north guys coming down for Carpet Fest this year. Oh, okay. But it never happened. Andy just flew in. Yeah. But I'll tell you, man, that, like that would be cool in itself. But, dude, I can't imagine like picking up Chris, getting the RV, right, cruising across the Lone Star State, you know, catching reptiles and amphibians the whole way, blasting some Waylon Jennings, Waylon Jennings, absolutely, Johnny Cash, all that, uh, some original old school David Allen Co. Yeah, dude, we gotta have like cowboy boots and the whole get up. Absolutely, it's an excuse to buy hats. That's right, just a week long. Yeah trip out there dude that'd be awesome yep all of us start chewing tobacco for no reason <laughs> we can split cigars and load up yeah exactly right yeah, oh man be awesome. so many so many beans around the campfire <laughs> we can all do our best john wayne impressions yep yep <clears throat> get the hell off my spread that's my favorite one line. You Texas brush popper. <laughs> Anybody who likes John Wayne and hasn't seen the movie The Cowboys needs to watch that movie. When are you getting your wreck from Sean? Um, I don't know. I, I'm literally shaking with anticipation every single time he posts something or every single time I look at my animals. Cause like, so this is what happened. I had plans to get a bunch of arboreal vipers, specific mm-hmm. ones. And I knew that I wanted to do a rack system and I kind of, I, I didn't know how I was going to go about it. And then when we went to carpet fest at PN Cody's, I saw they have those, um, those Canberra racks that were custom made out of like, uh, I don't know if it's aluminum or whatever it is, but they were really nice. And they had like the bar that goes down the middle so that, you know, you couldn't remove the drawer, you know, but, but to get, because it's venomous, obviously it's lockable and there was all led lights on the inside. It was gorgeous. And I thought to myself, man, there's gotta be a better way to do that have, for lack of a better word, a presentation rack system, arboreal rack system with lighting and everything. But it sucks to have to pull that rod out the top of the rack and to take out one drawer. So then you guys started talking with Sean, and obviously I chimed in because I'm uh, I'm your biggest fanboy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sean was like, listen, man, I can make individual locks. We can have each tub lock. And I was like, brilliant. Let's do it. Which is I'm gonna... crazy because I don't think that's that's been done before. Like that's the coolest thing about it is like you're boldly going where no one has has gone before. I think. Right. And and Sean asked me, he's like, listen, you know, how many foul gap can we have for the venomous? And I said, well, honestly, no gap would be the best. So I can't remember the exact unit of measurement, but it's like tenths of a foul gap on Jeez. each Cambro tub. So that God forbid, because they're live bearing our boarding right, vipers. Right. So. 
God forbid something gives birth and I'm not home, I don't have to worry about the things, you know, creeping out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so each tub is a Cambro tub, so you know how crystal clear they are. He put LED track lighting on each shelf for each tub, but instead of just having the lights like those LED tapes, he actually routed out a channel where the LEDs are going to go, and then as the tub slides in, the rim of the tub protects the LEDs from getting wet or, or from being bumped into or god forbid the snake touching it so yeah. it, it's brilliant it's brilliant i'm so excited i made the mistake of saying to him hey man take your time you know i'll get it when i get it <laughs> and like he's not obviously he's not leading me on but the guy's got a real job and you know he, this is his side gig and i get it but now i'm like when is it when is it when is it when is it <laughs> but it's all good man snakes are happy i'm happy they'll both of us will be happy all three of us will be happy <laughs> yeah man i'm he does good stuff. My uh, my arboreal rack. I can't say enough good things about it. So. Yeah, man. I mean, I look at you and Jake's stuff, and I'm I'm tickled. I really am. Tickled. And uh, uh, Henry, actually, the hen dog. Excuse me. He actually has um, uh, step bits for the drill because I was worried about. Um, how to drill these Cambro tubs appropriately. Cause I really want, yeah, I wanna, that's always yeah. made me nervous. It's like, it's that it's almost like the Neodysius. It's that really thick sort of, it feels brittle, but I've been told you can drill through it really without right. many issues. But, and I had a, I had a friend tell me, he's like, listen, man, Cambro tubs are super strong, but they can't take impact. So like he told me, he's like, listen, you can flex it and bend it in your hand and it won't like crack. But if you drop it on like carpet, it'll crack. Right. And I'm like, well, that sucks. So I'm thinking to myself, man, I can't just use a normal drill bit. I can't use a soldering iron because I don't know how the plastic's going to melt, you know, correctly. So Hendog was like, dude, I have step drill bits that are, you know, tiny, tiny, tiny little pyramids like an Aztec temple. Yeah, that's so, what people use for uh, for drum building. Like when they put oh, the nice. lugs on a drum, you, you're supposed to use one of those bits. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, so I got to actually have all my tubs ready to go. I have to bring them over to Henry, so uh, maybe next week we're going to probably try and drill them. So it's coming along nicely. You know, all the snakes are chilling in temporary uh, Sterilite gasket tubs for now, and uh, all is well. So we're, we're all on the on the chomping at the bits, so to speak. Yeah. It's nice. Those little bits are nice, too, because uh, like what I did, I, I built a snare drum. I had another bamboo shell that I never finished, but I took one of those bits and... Uh, you put like tape around how far you want it to go. And so you basically drill until you get to the edge of that, that painter's tape on the bit. And that way you don't have to worry about where should I stop? Like you, you measure the right depth. Right. I don't know. It just, it, it was surprisingly easy. Nice. How's it sound? Oh dude, it's awesome. It's one of my, one of my favorites. Were you going you a picture for at some point? Nice. Well, I'd like to hear it as well. Were you going for like more rattle or more tween or what? Um, that shell is a maple shell, and maple, as far as drums, is a much warmer tone overall. Like, I'm, I'm, my, my whole set is birch, and I like birch because birch is just punchier. Um, right. It cuts through a little more. Um, but maple is probably one of the most popular, if not the most popular, wood that drum makers yeah. use, just because, I guess, it's easy to work with, and it has a good tone, so. Right. <clears throat> I actually, uh, I actually have a Yamaha riding that's all maple. <laughs> that was my first set was a writing. Yeah, Dude, I love my writing. I mean, I haven't played it in like four or five years. It's actually in 
uh, Zildjian soft cases in my parents' like guest room, and uh, like once a year, I take them out, I bang on them to make sure that they're not like warped or whatever, and then I put them away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as long as you keep them dry and you keep them out of any sort of extreme heat or cold, they're they're fine. Yeah. But yeah, man, it's all about that the Yamaha Riding Maple, baby. That was my very first set, dude. It's good shit. Oh, those were the days. All right. What about you, man? Anything going crazy in your world with all this uh, crazy American action we've been having? No, man, it's been uh, pretty tame here. Good, uh, good. No news is good news. Like, there have been protests, but it's nothing major. No one's blocking traffic. It's just people sort of on the side of the road by the courthouses. You know, they got right. their signs and stuff. They're very, they're doing it, like, the right way. You know, it's not Good. invasive. It's not. Good. You know, I don't have to worry about getting pulled out of my car and getting jacked up. But Good, the way it should be. Yep. Uh, but Charleston, Charleston, especially downtown Charleston, sounds like there's sections of that that got absolutely trashed. Like, there was a cigar aficionado put a, a post on their website. Um uh, like about an article of a handful of cigar shops across the country that got uh, just completely totaled, and one of them was was the King's Leaf in Charleston, which is a real bummer because that guy now you know COVID has already kicked them while they were down. This was just the the proverbial icing on the cake, and I think they might be done. I don't know. I can I wonder like if insurance even covers any stuff like that. Like I, like do insurance companies have plans for? Like civil unrest. I, I I don't know, man. <laughs> but I'll tell you right now, I'm 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 gonna be very disappointed if my Geico bill goes up from twenty two dollars during COVID. <laughs> that's crazy, man. It's just now hurricane season starting, so that's a whole other batch of concerns. And uh, yeah, man, it's a very bizarre time, but. Going to work, doing my thing, working on the magazine, working on this. Love it. You know, All Conjuro issue came st- out great. Snakes and Stogies. Which I've, Absolutely I've love it. Really, I've been liking that a lot, man. So am I, man. I love doing it. Last episode was awesome. Like we, It was like three hours long, and we didn't even get to like the meat and potatoes of what we wanted to talk about. It's true, and that's good because now we have a, we have a reason to have a sequel. Yeah. Well, on a different note, I just text Kyle, and he will be about 15 minutes out. Okay. So we can continue, or we can put it on pause and call him in 15. We will put it on pause. But for the people listening, it'll be a mere half a second. The miracle of sound magic. That's right. This is the the behind-the-scenes magic. So, yeah, we'll hear back from Kyle, and we will pick right back up. Sweet. And even in private <laughs> conversation, have probably talked about your stuff more than anybody else's. Cool, man. That's... I would agree. Yeah, that's cool. It's cool to it's cool to find out stuff like that, for sure. Yeah. But, uh, like, why, out of all the Venomous stuff that is in the hobby, why Montane Rattlers? Well, there's there's a lot of reasons. Um, like, has it always been a fascination? Has it always been a group that you've been drawn to? 
Yeah, I guess ever since I started really uh, finding rattlesnakes, you could say, um, <clears throat> I, uh, you know, up until I found a banded rock rattlesnake, mm-hmm. I thought I had only known of Western Diamondbacks. Right. Um, so when I first found one of these, I thought, you know, holy smokes, this is something new. You know, I've never seen something like this. I got to figure out what it is. I thought maybe it was a new species or something. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um. So I went around to uh, some local pet shops and finally got turned on to some dude and uh, he told me what it was. And um, ever since then, you know, I just, there, there was never a lot of information on them uh, mm-hmm. on the internet and there still isn't. Um, so that, you know, that's one of the first things that I was real interested in is like, okay, why, why don't people know about these? Why, why is there such limited information on these? And I wanted to find out more. <clears throat> Um, and then, you know, just naturally it progressed into, uh, Lepidus Lepidus and, you know, the Mexican subspecies mm-hmm. and, you know, then the other Montanes, you know, Price Eye and Willard Eye and Achilles and, you know, then you, then you figure out breeding and you go, you, you triple your numbers in a year. And, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That just, so, hey. that seems like a group that you never see anybody really focusing on. It always seems to be the case where someone is like, yeah, I got like one, you know, either an individual or a pair of, you know, clobber eye or lepidus or whatever. Like no one ever seems to have a serious focus on, on keeping them outside of some of the zoos and stuff. For sure. Yeah, I agree. And that, again, that's, that's one of the other reasons that kind of, you know, attracted me to this group of snakes, you know, no, not many people work with them. And even the people that do have, uh, you know, spotty success. Um, people are getting a little bit more results nowadays with it. Um, and you know, especially the people that stick with it, I think that's a lot of the problem is, you know, these snakes don't cycle into captivity in a year or even two, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes they take three, four, five years and, uh, people just kind of get bored of that, I guess, or, or maybe discouraged and, uh, kind of give up on them. I think, I think that's the main issue with these things. So are you originally from El Paso or like have, how, how long have you been herping and catching rattlesnakes? Okay. So I caught my first one when I was eight years old. Um, I brought that home and that did not go over well. Uh, <laughs> so, so then when I was 15, I, I found the first banded rock rattlesnake. And ever since then, I mean, it's been, it's been game on every single year. I mean, I can't get these damn things off my mind. It's, it's like it's an obsession. It's yeah. a. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's understandable. Some of those mint green, you know, uh, lepidus are just un- unbelievable. Yeah, it's really hard. To yeah, I was fortunate to. Uh, yeah, I was fortunate to meet some people early on. Um, <clears throat> some of the original guys to start doing this, and uh, I got some some choice animals, mm-hmm. and um, I was able to raise them up and and have some success breeding them, and so yeah. This is this is all I'm doing now. I've I've had multiple other species in the past, mm-hmm. uh, even non-venomous. I've done Alterna. Um, that just I used goes to do hand Alterna. in hand. Like, I yeah, like kind of does. Do one without the other. Yeah, I guess I guess for some time I I think everybody does, uh, and then you either kind of lean one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, if you keep them, you know. If you find them, you know, it's one. You can like them both. Um, but I always find that you either you're either out there looking for lepidus. And Alterna is uh, kind of the bycatch or vice versa. <laughs> but yeah, I just, uh, 
these everything else was kind of easy you know alterna are pretty easy to breed you just cycle them down you right. pull them down in the winter you bring them up and 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 they breed you know um same thing for uh some of the other pythons and stuff i used to work with uh even some of the vipera species from europe um i had i had some really really good success with those things while i kept them uh for a few years and they're just kind of bored me you know they're they're i feel like anybody could 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 read them if they wanted mm-hmm. to and the montanes are a little bit harder people yeah. still have uh, a really really hard time breeding them especially some of the subspecies yeah, which is good. crazy because like you you don't see that many european vipers in the in the hobby you know yeah I mean? outside of amadites you do yeah exactly outside of amadites and there's so many different localities of amadites oh man so yeah i have colors. everything you know, and like, you, yeah. know, you don't see that anymore. It's kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. I had everything, man. I had, I had, I think I had almost 120 Vipera. Good God. Wow. How many yeah. At the height of my collection. Kaznikov. I had nine. Oh man. See, that's dude, my favorite had... of that genus are those things, dude. Those things. I remember the first time I saw a picture of one of those really just pitch black with a bright orange uh you know lines going down the back i was like what is that i'd never heard of it and i think it they're was crazy in, uh, man yeah i think it was in Merton's snake of the snakes of the world i think it was in that book and i remember seeing that and being like holy shit yeah well i liked them so much that uh i went over there last year and saw them in the wild really wow yeah, they're they're incredible snakes, man. They're they're really really cool. And yeah, I I took a trip over there and uh, we found a couple of them out there in the wild. It was awesome. That sounds like a magazine article, Phil. It does sound like a magazine article. <laughs> yeah, it was a crazy trip, man. We found almost everything over there in Georgia, uh, you know, on the border of Azerbaijan and Turkey and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, we killed it, man. We found Macrovipara libitina over there. Um, we found the Deniki. Um, Derevsky, Kaznikovi, Arawanensis. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. Any Oxiana? Do what? Any Oxiana? The no. Caspian Cobra? No. Damn. <clears throat> no, not in that area. Still, that, that list right there is stuff that, you know, yeah. a lot of people don't even know exists, you know? Yeah, yeah. Even, you know, like the Russian tortoises, you see those things in pet shops all the time, but it's it's different when you see them uh, out, out there walking around on the slopes. <laughs> like That's so cool. Box turtles. Yeah, man, it's crazy. And, you, and there's no shortage of them, I'll tell you that. Really? They, you know, yeah, I mean, we were there, we drove the roads down in the, the flats for probably two days. Uh, and we, no less than a hundred were hit on the road within a, a two mile stretch. Good God. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking thick. If you just look across the, the land, you, you see just these rocks moving across the land. It's <laughs> it's crazy. That's cool. Yeah. So you So got... how many oh, how many cordylids do you have now? Oh I never people ask me that all the time. I never have a, a count. Um, but I would say in the neighborhood of 270 to 300 of them. Wow. Sweet Jesus. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, until it comes uh, comes time to do the water bowls and <laughs> feeding and pulling sheds. and No, I enjoy it, man. I wouldn't do it otherwise. I'd be doing them a disservice. So you, you've, you obviously you've done a lot of herping out that way then. For sure. You find a lot For of sure. me and Phil. We also we were talking about it beforehand. We have to know 
have you seen any bear rat snakes while you were out in your excursions? Oh yeah, because I'm a huge Bairds freak. Like half my collection is bear rat snakes. It's the Bairds oh, king man. of the south. Yeah, definitely seen a lot of those, um, especially in the Davis Mountains. There's there's some roads mm. in the Davis Mountains where they are thick, and there's some super nice ones there. They're really really nice snakes. Yeah, I love them, man. Yeah. But. See, that's cool. Not 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 a lot of people are into that specific species, and that's cool that you are, and that's. That's the kind of stuff I like, man. They're super underrated. Everyone yeah. everyone looks over them. They see them on tables when they're small. They're like, oh, it's a gray rat, whatever. Yep. But I know. And so if I see them at a show, I'll buy them up, dude. Hell yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> but as far as your current collection goes, I mean, how, like, as far as uh, Clobberi and, and Lepidus, like, what's the, you keep Mitchell Eye as well? I used to keep Mitchell Eye. I don't anymore. Um, just because it's it's a little too difficult for the space issues that I have here mm-hmm. to, to work with a wide variety of species. So the specs, man, they, they require a little bit more heat and less humidity than the vast majority of my current collection. So, oh, okay. and again, um, they're, they're, they're easy. They're, I kept them for several years and they're mm-hmm. just really easy. You know, you same thing, you, you hibernate them and you bring them up and put them together and you got babies. Um, now the babies, they're a pain in the ass to get eating, but, right. <laughs> but to, to get babies on the ground isn't too tough. Mm-hmm. So I moved away from those also. I'll tell you, man, those snakes are tough as nails though. I, uh, not to toot my own horn, but the most neglected snake I've ever neglected was a Michelin Michelin. <laughs> And uh, it was when I was working as the venomous guy down at Strictly Reptiles, and we had a ton of them. They were all wild caught, and they all did great except for one. And no one went up buying it because it was not eating. Yeah. And it went like six months without any eating. And then at that point, I pulled the water dish because maybe I thought it was a humidity thing. And then after about three months, I tried to feed it again. Nothing. And long story short, uh, right around the 13th, 14th month of no food and no water for at least six months, uh, somebody bought it, took it home, and it did great. And it ate and drank. So maybe it just didn't like me. Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy. Sometimes that little change will get them sparked and going. But that thing, it didn't lose a single ounce of body weight. It looked healthy. It would rattle. It was great. Crazy. Crazy. But as as far as the rock stuff, what did you... What did you start with, and then what did you uh, what did you branch out from there? So I started with clubs. Um, like I said, my first ones were Franklins, and uh, yeah. I started kind of going west <laughs> the from magic there. Phil bait. Phil bait. Yeah, oh, it's my favorite rattlesnake. Yeah, they're they're awesome, man. And then you know I had spent I started spending so much time out there, just day after day after day, and. Uh, I got lucky. I, I, I went out one day and um, I got lucky and ran across that female. And um, she she kind of changed the way that I looked at, at keeping the snakes. Um, I don't know what it was. When I saw her, I just, I knew that the whatever it was, two or 300 I had seen prior to her were nothing like her. And uh, I said, I gotta, I gotta keep this thing and I gotta breed it and I gotta figure out how to how to do this Mm -hmm. and um yeah i just 
again, naturally went, you know, I have uh, Waco Lepidus just to the west of me or east of me, excuse me. And um, I also branched out over there. Um, I started getting some Waco Lepidus and trying to breed those. I wasn't successful for eight years with those. Wow. Um, they're tough. Yeah. Yeah. There's some of them, again, they take a really, really long time to acclimate to captivity. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy how long, <clears throat> but, um, yeah. And then I started, you know, looking into different localities and, you know, going on the Google maps and going on the dirt roads and just trying to get into places where, uh, where I could find habitat and find new, new clubs and, you know, just, went from there and then i <clears throat> then i started going to arizona and then i saw willard eye and price eye mm-hmm. and cerberus you know and i'm like holy shit these okay there's a there's a bunch of these little montane yeah. rattlesnakes okay where can i get these who has these you know where can i buy these and it's been a long road um but i've been fortunate and i i now have uh pretty much every species i've i've wanted to work with that's awesome and they must be pretty common then if you're out and about and you you see them in multiple areas on a pretty regular basis, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, and I guess common is subjective. Um, if you don't know how to look for them and, or, or the right time to mm-hmm. look for them, then, then they're not so common. Um, but if you do, then, of course, they, they could be considered common. Hmm. And once you know the recipe on how to find them, it makes it easier. It doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And there's several variables that come into play. Um, it, but, you know, it, it kind of falls in line with typical uh, snake movement. You know, you, if you get rain cycles and low pressure systems and, you know, stuff like that, it, it usually gets snakes up and moving. Yeah. You're not going to drive down a paved road at two in the afternoon in July. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. So would you say that the majority of your collection now is species and subspecies based, or is it like regional phenotype type stuff? Um, Both. I would uh, both for sure. Okay. I have stuff from pretty much all across the board. I mean, I've got, uh, I've got clobber eye from Durango and the Zacatecas um, courtesy of San Antonio zoo. Um, I have, Clobberi from all the way up north as far as the Magdalena Mountains, which is outside of Socorro, New Mexico. Uh, wow. And then I have pretty much, well, I can't say, I don't know, maybe 60% of the localities uh, in between that. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. That's awesome. Yeah. Those, those, the ones that stood out the most to me were the Chihuahuas. Yeah, the those ones that the I didn't even know they green. Yeah, I didn't even know those existed until... You know, they're crazy, man. Oh, they're crazy them. snakes. You know, they're 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 the only ones that are born looking exactly like the adults. Mm-hmm. They're just they they come out and they're the same color as the adults. You know, usually with the uh, clobberi and even some localities of lepidus, um, they kind of progress to us uh, the adult color phase. And these things, man, they just as soon as they shed, it's like okay, hmm. that's that's how you're gonna look just ten times bigger. That's awesome. And are I mean, yeah. are all the Mexican localities like their own subspecies? No, 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 no. There's a whole there's a whole list of localities, uh, different mountain ranges that have clobberi in Mexico, and then as you start moving in different directions, um, you get lepidus lepidus, and then lepidus maculosus, 
and uh, what used to be Lepidus Marulus. Marulus has been mm-hmm. elevated. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Those there's a, and then it starts getting too. real crazy. As you go further south, it starts getting real wonky in there. You, there still needs to be a lot of work done in those areas. Yeah, I'm sure the the guys at Herp MX are. Oh, they're on it they're for sure. On that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and something Phil has mentioned previously, you know, in us talking about you, um, is like the your setups, mm-hmm. the uh, sort of the desert vivaria of sorts, which in my opinion is like the hardest vivaria to work. Most definitely. You know, because a you don't you know plants not all plants do great and you know, drier setups like that and finding cleanup crews and stuff that, that will survive and that kind of thing are also kind of tough, but can you sort of paint us a picture as far as how you have, are they all, I mean, are they all set up like that or do you have just a handful? No, no, no. Every single one of them is set up like that. I have, I oh, think, man. uh, 164 cages. And, and just, all... just let me, let me cut you off for a second. Just to the people that are listening, we're going to have to post some pictures of his vivariums because you know, us saying, oh, he's got some yeah. cactus and some grass is like the biggest understatement of all time because, you know, Kyle's enclosures are literally windows into the mountainous terrain. Like you don't – it's better than a zoo, and then you pan out and you see that there's a light bulb above it. Like it's crazy. But go on. Sorry, man. No, no, you're all good. Um, And, yeah, I try to do the best I can with replicating where each snake or, or, or the parent of each snake comes from. Um, obviously if my babies are born in captivity, they don't know where they come from, but I try to do my best to replicate, uh, where I've seen them in the wild. And so it's not the, I guess they're not really a desert type of setup. Um, they are a bit more dry than I guess you would consider uh, tropical stuff, you right. know, 50, 60% humidity. But basically what I do is I create pockets within the substrate. I typically use a pretty deep substrate, um, maybe like three to four inches in a 20 gallon tank. Um, what that allows me to do. And I, I mix a blend of cypress mulch and peat. Mm-hmm. What that allows me to do is retain humidity in spots that I want it to be at. Right. So I'll constantly, you know, once every, I don't know, 10 or 12 days, whenever I think of it, you know, I'll take a little jug and, pour water in that general area. And that's where the isopods live. Um, whenever I missed the cages is when they kind of come out and you can see them start doing their thing. Right. So even though that, you know, most of the cage is drier, mm-hmm. uh, they still have an area in there where they live and where they can feel comfortable and breed and, you know, where they're not drying out. And what isopods dying. do you use? Do for these? So I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you and I tell you, I know the species names and stuff, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't get that far into it, but I collect isopods again from the same mountain ranges where the snakes are from. Oh. I flip rocks and yeah, I flip rocks yeah. and logs and stuff, leaf litter. And I collect all the isopods that I find from out there and bring them home to, to these guys. Yeah. You were telling me that you got a nice piece of wood once that had a bunch of I guess wood lice or isopods in it that you were unaware of and that like yeah. spawned it out. That, that's all. It just exploded. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. And, and, and oddly enough, my rooms will get down to maybe sometimes 33, 34 degrees for a couple of days. And, um, 
the isopods make it through in the spring i see them you know up and doing their thing yeah, that's awesome. when you think they're you know they're dead because you haven't seen any in a while they exactly yeah how yeah rise up from the ground yeah it's crazy you had mentioned to me uh, previously when we were chatting that you had you know you get samples of some of the soil and some of the sand and stuff from the different localities and kind of bring it back with you if you can so i do that with absolutely everything um again each each snake has uh dirt and leaf litter and um gravel and rocks and branches and oh you know uh grass from exactly where they are from mm-hmm. uh sometimes that means i have to hike on the mountain with a couple of black trash bags tied to my backpack and stuff but i make it happen you know yeah that's so, so impressive, yeah man. yeah that i really bring a, a little piece of the mountain home and, and and that's that's what they get to live on now when you take the grass are you like coming underneath the roots so you can like replant it in the enclosure or are you like seeding it? How, how do you do the grass and stuff? So the grass, I do try to get as much of the root ball that I can. And I try to get, you know, as much dirt as I can. Sometimes with the species that I collect, it's not, it's not very feasible. Um, but I do try to keep it alive in the cages and I have been successful for the most part, but it doesn't stay alive long. And I, that's because I'm not providing it the right lighting. Um, and to be honest, it's 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 a crazy it's a crazy amount of work that I'd have to do to to be able to provide it. So what I do is I just collect fresh grasses from the wild twice a year. Um, I'll, I'll refresh them in the springtime when they're kind of green and getting puffy, and then when they die off, I'll replace them again in the fall when the rains start hitting and they're looking good again. Wow. Yeah. So you had mentioned to me also that, you know, you vary the diet of everything per yeah, the locality. Yeah, I was curious about that myself. Yeah, so I kind of just, I get to do a lot of thinking, you know, while I'm in here looking at my collection and trying to figure out how I can make it better for the snakes and make them more comfortable and, you know, really getting in my mind. And uh, I started thinking one day that, you know, in, in the wild, they don't, I had some snakes that wouldn't eat, you know, they wouldn't eat pinkies and it's, we've all been there. It's frustrating as hell. You just, mm-hmm. you want that damn, why doesn't this little baby snake want to live, man? You know, just, just eat the damn pinky. Right. But it's not so simple. You know, they don't, they don't just, they're not born in the wild and, and pinkies are thrown in their face. You know, it's, it yeah. happens on a rare, rare occasion in the wild that they, that they run across pinkies. So they want to be fed lizards and frogs and wild type mice and uh, scolopendra, you know, things like that. That's what they're eating in the wild. So it got me to thinking, well, it can't be very healthy for a captive snake, especially a captive snake to be eating the same rodent block fed mouse for every single meal. Um, So I decided that I'm going to breed my own rodents and i breed gerbils african software rats and two different strains of mice um and i always switch it up um sometimes i'll give them lizards sometimes they'll get an african software rat um you know but they're always getting something different Mm -hmm. what i also do is i vary the size of the prey um so i might have a two-foot clobber eye but it doesn't mean that he has to get a weanling mouse for every single meal 
So sometimes I'll give them a, a fuzzy, right. fuzzy African software wrap. Um, and I do that because I feel like they have different fat contents. Um, Absolutely. They have different calcium content at, throughout each developmental stage of their life. Um, so I really try to do as best as I can to really vary their diet and, you know, keep, keep it new, keep it fresh. Yeah. But even then you're feeding the feeders a pretty varied diet as well, right? Yeah. So, uh, the mice, I give them a grain mix that I get from a local feed store here. Um, and it contains, I think, don't quote me, but maybe I think 40 different types of seeds in it. Um, and then I also have a nut and grain mix, uh, for wild birds that I use. Um, I also feed them, uh, cucumbers, apple and um carrots you know not on any kind of regular schedule just whenever i think about it yeah um and i i offer them uh live and freeze-dried crickets on occasion um same with grasshoppers and i order those in bulk and uh same with mealworms so i do different sizes of mealworms also um so they get the mice get also a really varied diet um i think that uh I don't think that even the best rodent block is as good as a grain and insect diet. Yeah, and that's something I'm always thinking about is, you know, obviously you are what you eat and so are your animals. Um, exactly, yeah. You know, that's... like I wish, I'm sure it exists and I need to do some research, but I, I've always wondered if there's any sort of paper out there that sort of graphs out, you know, the longevity of breeders as far as like the overall healthiness of, of feeders and stuff when they're when they're given different diets and I mean, have you noticed a difference in terms of breeder longevity from feeding them what you're doing? I guess I I can't say that I've noticed anything uh, because I've only been doing this for uh, going on 16 years now. Oh, that's it? So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) only, only, only 16 years. 16 years. I have no idea. for, For me, that's not long enough because I have snakes that are currently 20 years old and I feel like they're going to go another 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you know, for me, for me to just, just a single person to be able to build a set of data, I think would take a, a little bit longer than the course of just my life, yeah. you know, because the snakes, each snake I think can live maybe somewhere between 25 to 45, 50 years old. Mm-hmm. Some of these things. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in the, on like an anecdotal aspect, you know, you see some breeder mice, they're, you know, retired breeders, they're old, they got the weird lumps and stuff because whatever they were being fed just wasn't good. Mm-hmm. You know, do you notice any of that with, with the diet you have yours on? Um, no. Uh, what I will say, though, is that I have noticed when I feed the mice uh, or even the softwares, um, when I feed them live mealworms and live crickets and live grasshoppers, mm-hmm. they go ape shit. I mean, they. I, I have never videos would have of even it. Thought of that? That's like I know oh, people get like I think chin, or hedgehogs and stuff will eat mealworms, but I've never heard of anybody feeding bugs to to mice and rats. Yeah, and I've got a ton of videos. Um, they they they. They love it. I'm telling you, they go absolutely crazy. They kind of like steal it from each other and <laughs> rip them apart. It's crazy. And what, what got me on that is I thought, you know, in out in the wild, a snake isn't eating uh, rodent block. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, the mice out there are eating whatever they can get their little paws on. You mm-hmm. know, they, they're eating 
they're eating grass seed they're eating um they're eating insects by the by the pliny i'm sure that a vast majority of their diet is an insect hmm. um so i figure why why wouldn't i do that for mine you know i yeah. want my snakes to be as close in to in touch with the wild as they can be it's so cool man that's a level of dedication though that 99.9 percent of the hobby doesn't have you know myself included yeah that's I, just I, unbelievable. The, same thing. the whole thing it's uh, tough that's why, that's why he's a club king that's right that's why he's a <laughs> lep lord <laughs> yeah i i uh i've been fortunate i've been fortunate um to to be able to spend a lot of time with the snakes um and you know as crazy as this sounds keeping them in captivity and keeping them as natural as i possibly can um it's also helped me to learn about their behaviors in the wild you know oh i have no because after i missed in here you know I, I noticed that this snake is is behaving this way almost every time and and this snake is moving over here every time i missed and you know why are they doing that and i kind of can start to paint a little picture mm-hmm. and then i'm able to apply that in the field and, and so it's 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 really helped it's really helped me learn yeah the duration of time between rainfall and the you know the low pressure system coming in opposed to the low pressure system leaving and the movement after the storm. Yeah. Yeah. All you, of it. Well, even if you're not misting, do you notice more activity when you do have thunderstorms roll in? Like me being oh, a condor sure, yeah. guy, you know, storms roll in, you have condors together, <laughs> they're going to start locking. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You notice that with and these? It's, it's the same thing with these. Yeah. Wow. What's your, what's now, your favorite species or locale that you have? Oh man, that's a, it's a tough one. It's probably a very tough question. I just, I have a lot of favorites. I mean, obviously, my favorite snake, period, is is my Franklin girl. That most most people uh, who who've heard of rock rattlesnakes probably know her by now. Oh um, yeah. But other than other than having like a single favorite snake, I I can't I can't say they're they're all they're awesome all in their favorite. own right. They really are, yeah. And I I really believe that if i feel like we shouldn't really have favorites you know if 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 you're if you if you're keeping a snake that's not your favorite then you should not be keeping it because you're doing it a disservice yeah yeah you know because you don't care you know you're not going to care about that thing as you are your absolute favorite snake you know it's just you never do so a better question would be is there a locale that always sort of has like its own special place yeah, the Franklins. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure. I mean, I started there, you know. That's mm-hmm. that's that's where I got my start, and um, yeah, that girl, that that man, that day. And me and Phil were talking about uh, Mitchell I, I think on the last Snakes and Stogies episode, and we were talking about how you know you find the pink ones in like the pinker rocks, and then you find the white ones in like the whiter rocks. Is that the same case with a lot of the Lepidus? Um, yes. Yeah. For the most part, males throughout most of their range are green. There, there's some shade of green. Um, the females, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, the younger animals aren't 
so sexually dimorphic, mm-hmm. but uh, as they age, they are for sure. Um, the females are the snakes that typically match the background of the rock. That makes sense. Because they're, yeah. they're not they're, the ones they're, moving. They're, yeah. Yeah. So that's where so, your pinks and kind of tans and purples and stuff like that start coming in, the females. And then you, as you start going up north, you know, you can get some kind of silvery ones and grayish brown ones. So on the species that you keep communal, like pairs in one enclosure or trios in one enclosure, do you ever see any kind of, you know, uh, I don't want to say combativeness or like how are they fed separate? You know, do you feed them in enclosure? How do you handle like having multiple snakes in one cage? So I've recently started doing some uh, experiments and I hate, I hate saying that, um, but you know, trial and keeping, error. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I've been starting to keep a couple of pairs together here and there of different species to kind of see what, what behavior, uh, that they have and if they're going to still breed when it's time to breed and, you know, not just get comfortable with each other, which I've had had happen in the past. Um, but no, I, I don't really see, uh, I don't really see any problems with, with combat and stuff like that. I don't keep males together for sure. Um, and the, the, most of the snakes I do keep together are lepleps and they, they do really, really well together. Nice. Now do the rock rattlesnakes, do you ever find them in the wild, like communally, or is that strictly like an Aatrox and tiger kind of thing? Um, so I don't, I don't know, not communally, I wouldn't say, um, but I have found um, several individuals in a certain rock pile, or maybe you hear a buzz and flip a rock and there's a pair under there. Um, there's some yeah. areas in the Oregon mountains where, yeah, you can get like five or six rock rattlesnakes you know one little crack uh i did that a couple years ago okay so it's not so much that they're denning together like atrox and tigers it's just yeah happens i think they just kind of end up together yeah they, it was it was such a good spot that they all went there yeah well, i got gotcha. you we probably need to back up a little bit because i'm sure some people are probably confused but the what's the difference between lepidus and clobber eye so lepidus Lepidus uh, is the modeled rock rattlesnake. Clobberi mm-hmm. is the banded rock rattlesnake. Gotcha. And then you have subspecies and regional phenotypes within those two. For sure. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have, like I said, I have Clobberi, uh, Lepidus, and Maculosis, which are <clears throat> Lepidus, and then uh, Marulus, which like, has been elevated. So work with all four of those and then Willard Eye, Willard Eye, Willard Eye Silas, Willard Eye Amobilis, and then uh, some Price Eye. Awesome. Yeah. And so now let me ask this just for the people that are kind of hip to the lingo. The melosis that you speak of, those are those are Lepidus melosis. Those are not Crotalus melosis. So Blacktails. Morulus. Morulus, excuse me. That the Tomalipan rock rattlesnake. Right. Okay. Okay. They're yeah, and that's that's L2. now Crotalus morulus. Mm-hmm. They've okay, been elevated, okay. the full species. It's a gorgeous morulus, species. Not morulus. Yeah. So melosis. I actually melosis. do work with melosis. Also, oh. um, I have a few pair of melosis, and I also have a couple pair of Cerberus. Oh, nice. Yeah. You feel collected those? 
Um, a couple of them were given to me, and the majority, yes, I feel connected. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So what it is it about as far as acclimating, what's so difficult? Like why are they why are they so tough? Are they just are they how high strung are they compared to like Aatrox? I don't know that I'd call them high strung. Um I, I guess they're just uh shy. I guess you can say that, yeah. They're just a completely different Timid. animal. They're 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 nothing like Aatrox. I mean, you can catch Aatrox in the spring, yeah, that's kind and of I an, mean, they'll breed for you and have babies that same year. Kind of an apples These to things, oranges comparison, but that's like yeah. my my threshold is like, is it is it more psychotic <laughs> than an Aatrox? You know, that's no, the, that's none the of these really stuff. are. <laughs> no, they just take a while, man. I, I I don't know what it is. Me and a couple of buddies of mine uh, that do this, we always question, you know, what what is it? What why? Mm-hmm. Why do some of them take three years to breed? Why do some of them take five? You know, um, I have a female. She bred for me the first time last year, and it took her seven years. Wow. Seven years. And then I had another female from the same range. Uh, it only took her two years. So I, I don't know. You know, you don't. we don't know what it is, really. So the struggling is more on, like, the breeding front. Like, you don't have any issues as far as I'm eating or No, no, no. Like no, that. I never have an issue. Okay. No. Always. And again, I think that's due to uh, a lot of people that have issues with getting stuff to eat. I think it's because they're unwilling to give it what it wants to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, right. it's just like chondros, man, like babies, for whatever reason, to get them eaten on pinkies can be tough. But, you know, you give them a gecko or something and they're all about it. I think it's it's the same concept yeah. of trying to fit the, the circle in the square. And yeah, they're, just yeah. Not, they're not and physiologically guess, built or ingrained to go for that. You know, that the trigger isn't, yeah. isn't ticked. And this stuff was so difficult for me to figure out and kind of get going that I, I hate losing a baby. Um, you know, I don't like it. So rather than let it wither away because it won't eat what I want it to, mm-hmm. I just, I give it a lizard. You know, I'd rather it eat something than... Right. Not what I want it to. Yeah. I'd rather have to dose it with Panicure or something than it die. Yeah. As long as it's not stressed and it's eating, you know, parasites aren't going to really be a problem for some time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I've never one time ever treated any of my snakes. Wow. For anything ever. I, I, they've all come from really, really reputable people who I trust or from the wild. And that's a lot of the reason that I field collected most of my own stuff that, and I like to have the memory uh, as, yeah. as selfish as that sounds. I like to, I like the memory attached to the snakes that I find. And I want to relive that every time I look at them. Oh yeah. And your photography is not to segue into that, but your photography is breathtaking, bro. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, it is. Cause like, I mean, anybody, I mean, a lot of people could take a picture of a snake in an enclosure, but not only are you taking a picture to the point where you can't tell if it's in an enclosure or if it's in the wild because your enclosures are so great, but now you have pictures of it where you see it on the rock and now you have the landscape behind it, the mountain that it's literally living on. Like that's breathtaking. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I I think so too, and that's why I do it. I mean, yeah, I, I you know my my snake room is like my little escape you know it's it's my it's my happy place you know Agreed, when i'm yeah. mad or sad or when i want to feel happy i i come into my snake room 
That's why we do that's it. Where I, that's where I am now. <laughs> yeah, you leave all the negative shit at the door when you walk through, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, yeah, it's me and them in here. And again, I can go to every single cage and look at every snake and see what they're doing. And maybe I learned something new, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe this snake was doing some new behavior today. And now, now that's a question for me. And I got to figure that out. You know, it's always something in here and it's always, it keeps me going. I'll ask you something that I, I, I only ask certain people this because some people think I'm crazy when I say this, but there's a certain kind of herper, there's a certain kind of keeper that when they hear a rattlesnake rattle, it legitimately puts them at ease. Are you one of those guys? I can't say that I am, no. <laughs> because, like, I, I'll be honest, like, I walk in the room, my room, and I, I don't have that many rattlesnakes. I got only a handful of them, but I walk in my room and stuff starts to buzz because I got too close to the enclosure or maybe I flipped the light on and spooked it. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. Like, it just makes me feel good. Or, like, if I'm field herping and I hear a buzz, obviously I stop what I'm doing because I don't want to step on it. But <laughs> that's, that's like, the best yeah. thing ever because, like, I know I'm there, you know? Yeah, so when, I, when I'm when i in the field, it's a different story. I that's, oh, yeah. that's why I do it. That buzz, man, that adrenaline that you get from that buzz, that is the drug that keeps me going out there. And it's not it's not a fear adrenaline. It's a, oh, my God, oh, my God, anxious excitement. Yeah, you know? like, holy yeah. shit, what could this be? <laughs> Yeah, but right. no. So in captivity, though, I prefer never to hear them rattle because I associate the rattle with a sign of stress. Right. That's They're true. either yeah. stressed or, or, or scared, you know, scared or startled. But either way, I think that it's a negative response. And so I try whatever I can to make sure that mine don't rattle. But you do have that one snake that just always does it right. I actually do. Yes, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. He's a blacktail. I've had him for three years now, man, and he's he's better. He's much much better. But once every three or four days, you'll get a little twenty second buzz out of him, just just, yeah. just to let you know he still means yeah. business. <laughs> I'm still here, asshole. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the uh, do you do any UV? For I mean, what are your I, what are the lights you use on these these setups? I don't use any UV. Um, I don't think that. I don't want to say I don't think they need it, um, but I don't think that it An matters. Necessity. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's just um, so I don't provide it. UV. I would if I could. If I had a smaller collection, mm-hmm. um, which I know sounds lazy on my end, uh, but it, it'd be more manageable to be able to provide UV. Yeah. I just, on the scale that I'm at, I just can't. There's no it's way. A, it's a lot of money in bulbs, man. Yeah. A lot of money, a lot of new. I'd have to redesign my rack systems. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be crazy. That's just something I was curious about. Lori Torini uh, posted an article that was talking about UV and reptiles, and I know David Brahms gives his chondros a couple hours of UV every day, and I don't like. I it makes me nervous. Like if I were doing it, I would do it like Brahms does, like limited exposure, a couple hours a day, but definitely not like a lights on till lights off sort of deal and for sure yeah i agree with that just because i th- i think that it's uh no matter how how good it might be mm-hmm. it's it man it's man-made yeah you know so we, we're not really sure how regulated it truly is mm-hmm. or what or what benefit if any the snake is really getting from it well you also have the different ratings. It's not natural you know or the different ratings what's what's not enough what's too much you know. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm sure that information exists somewhere, but for sure. I don't know. The UV thing, it just like I said, it makes me a little nervous. And I'd only be doing it a couple hours a day if I were doing it, which I'm not. So Yeah. I've thought about experimenting with it, uh, but I just mm-hmm. I haven't got there yet. I I hopefully I have several more years to kind of play with things and start figuring some other other stuff out. Mm-hmm. So what's uh, as far as all the different localities and stuff you've you've gone and checked out? What's is there one that you find it's harder to find these snakes? Like, is there one where you go there and you're like you, repeatedly and you you struggle to find like your usual it, sort of sort of haul? Yeah, that's Waco's, the Waco Mountains. They're right here. They're about forty five minutes from me, and uh, it's everybody's story with that place. I mean. It's brutal. It, the place will chew you up and spit you out. It, it leaves you disheartened every time. It makes it that much more special when you finally do, you know, walk up on that lap or oh, Alterna. Um, it's 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 really special then. But yeah, man, that's uh, I spent a lot of lot of snakeless nights out there <laughs> for sure. That's just something I hear about beards all the time is I hear, I've read, I've, I hear a lot of conflicting things. People say that they're like one of the hardest snakes to find in the country. And then I have guys that are like, I go out and see them all the time. So I yeah, don't know what And I've believe. heard the same things about them. Yeah. I think it's just about when people hit them, you know, cause again, it's subjective. There's times when I've been out mm-hmm. and I don't, you know, I'll stay out for five days. Me and my buddy used to stay out for five days straight and not see one. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're out at a different time of year or different type of weather pattern, and boom, you know, they're hitting. We, we see five in one night. Wow. Man, see, that's, like, West Texas, and I've said this a million times, is, like, the top <laughs> of my list of places I want to herp. Everyone, people are like, you can herp anywhere in the world. Where do you want to herp? And I'm going to say West Texas every time. And people are always surprised. And I'm like, you don't understand. They got the coolest stuff. They got the rattlesnakes. They got tarantulas. They got scorpions. They got, you know, bears. They got yeah. alterna. They got all the rock rattlers. They got all, like, what else do you need? It's awesome, I don't have man. to worry about getting kidnapped <laughs> and held <laughs> for, for sure, ransom, yeah. you know, by a cartel or something. And there is always a road home, no matter where you are. That's right. Yep. I don't have to worry about the language <laughs> sure. barrier and, like, not being able to speak whatever the native language is you know if there's an emergency or i don't know you have to cross an ocean it's right there you know yeah no that's uh that's why i live here oh i want to get some i keep forgetting like trans pecos rat snakes too man those are i need to get my hands on some of those they're really cool too yeah you come across a lot of those oh yeah there's certain places again where i mean no no kidding man you can see from five to ten a night on on certain roads. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah. Now, how how often do you find any of the lepidus or clobs or anything on roads? Do they ever cross or or you know get that last bit of warmth before nightfall, or are they strictly in the rocks, you know, in the mountainsides? Well, I feel like my experience is biased because I don't spend much time road cruising at all. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like, there's something about it. I don't, I much prefer being in the field and happening on a snake in the field, doing what it's doing. Um, as opposed to on the road. I don't know why it's just a personal thing. I've never been a fan of of road cruising. Phil, you you should know by now 
you should know by now that Kyle doesn't do anything the easy way. That's true. <laughs> it should be true. obvious. Well, they say that the most the most memorable and most loved adventures are the ones that suck the most. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, no one ever talks about the one time that they went out on an excursion. Oh, we walked 10 feet down the road and there was my holy grail snake. No, it's the one where you fell down the mountain and you broke your ankle and they had to carry yeah. you out. Yeah, it's that story. Those are the ones that are the best. Yeah. Yeah. And then afterwards, it's like, man, you know what? That was actually pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Those totally are the stories that you tell. Yeah. So going back to the mountainside stuff, uh, how much elevation difference is there in the different species in terms of like, are they, are they subalpine? Are they higher than alpine? Like, so I don't think any are alpine, but I mean, we've got laps that are probably around, what let's see over by like 3,200 3, feet all the way up to almost 9,000 feet in the Magdalenas. Wow. So, yeah, they occupy a wide range of of altitude for sure. And do you find those higher elevation ones are darker, like a lot of other species? Um, for the for the most part, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. Now, what is what's your home elevation? Does that play a factor in breeding in terms of like barometric pressure and like you know oxygen levels and stuff? So I'm at like I'm at about five thousand where I'm at, fifty one hundred where I'm at, um, okay. and I, I've I've not had any problems uh, with anything. You know, you'd think that maybe Price I would have an issue breeding here. Um, I haven't had an issue with with breeding them. Uh, I used to when I kept my room a little bit warmer than I should have. And uh, once I cooled it down a little, um, I breed, I breed them. I breed price eye in the same exact room that I breed lepidus, lepidus from the Waco Mountains. Um, and it was 105 degrees here today. So, wow, yeah, wow. So now, what about some of your friends that breed, you know, rock rattlers in terms of their elevation? Like, for example, my goal is in the next, you know, five or six years, I want to breed clobber eye. But I'm worried that me being at literally like 30 feet above sea level, Florida, is going to be a problem for me. If you're even above sea level at all, but, I'm pretty yeah, sure we're well, below yeah. here in South Carolina. Uh, I right. think I think that it can be done. Okay. I think that once you take the, I, I don't think the altitude matters so much in captivity because we provide the range of temperatures that they need. Okay. You know, in the wild, the price I need to be up high because they need those temperature fluctuations from night and day, and they need to have those uh, those temperatures up high on the on the rocks when they're basking and stuff. You know, Willard I feel a different niche. Bobber I feel a different niche throughout the mountain range, and I I think that in captivity we're able to provide them with exactly what they need or what we think you know is what they need or is close to it. Right. Um, so elevation, I think, kind of goes out the window at that point. I got you. What's your average night drop? Like, for example, you obviously have multiple snakes in multiple different rooms, but your main room that you work with, your snake room, what's the average night drop? I mean, is it like 10 degrees? Is it like 20 degrees? I mean, obviously, I have it depends a, on the time of year. I average about 15 degrees. Okay. 
Okay. So about midday, midday, my room will get up to about 78 degrees uh, during the heat of summer. And then at night, it'll go down to about 65 degrees. Okay. So, and then obviously each enclosure has its own hotspot and you know, yep. so on and so forth. And you vary that depending on the time of years to replicate the seasons. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I adjust light hours with the cycle of the day outside and, oh yeah. Yeah. See, the, I haven't I haven't bred any rock rattlesnakes before, but when I think about them, uh, obviously this is a little more extreme, but like I think about like the Cerastes and the Cerastes Vipera that I've done in the past. And like what we've always had success was putting them underneath the air conditioner vent because it's constantly getting fresh, cold air and we have like a hundred watt heat lamp on it. So the basking site is like 110, but at night, the whole thing is like 62. And like that, that nightly, you know, 15 to 30 degree drop, depending on the time of year, helped me a lot with that kind of stuff, especially in Florida because it's so humid. But yeah. I mean, obviously that's more extreme than the than the clubs and stuff. But I didn't know how much of a variation you had nightly. Yeah, it averages about 15 degrees. That's cool. That's doable. Yeah, for sure. And I run ACs in both of my rooms. I have two rooms. I run uh, refrigerated AC units in both rooms. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, P and Cody Bartolini have a Montane room that they keep all their Bothriacus in, and they've got a pair of uh, Price Eye in there. And uh, I they That's got awesome. those recently, and they're they're sud- I didn't realize they were as small of a species as they are. Yeah, yeah, they're tiny, man. The babies when they're born, they are freaking. Oh, I tiny. believe it. What do you feel like? It's like, well, um, lizards. I start them off on lizards. Once they eat, you know, three, four, five lizards, I get, I switch them over to pinks. But I did have some last year. Actually, I had several last year that started off right on pinks. I had some pretty big babies born. Nice. And one of the one of the lines of mice that I breed, they have a high number of babies, and they're very very small. So even like little pygmy rattlesnakes could eat these pinky mice. Oh wow! Yeah, so like smaller than your average blood pink, for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, cool, man, that's so cool. What about uh, insects? You know, we we recently spoke about. You know, some of the smaller rattlesnake species eating like lovebirds and stuff like that. Do you ever try? I saw, I know you put the thing with your, um, your originos had grasshoppers breeding in their enclosure. I didn't know if you had ever seen babies eat crickets or grasshoppers or whatever. So those grasshoppers that were in there, I guess they came in on the, on the grass. Um, oh, wow. I don't, yeah, I, I can't say they were breeding in there. Probably likely not, but, um, I, they probably came in on the grass. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't offer it to my snakes to eat. Um, but I guess if one came in and they ate it, you know, I, yeah, man, it's nature. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't try to do it is what I'm saying. I don't actively put insects in there for them to eat. Um, even though I'm sure that they're a little bit more opportunistic in, in nature. Oh yeah, for sure. Maybe they, maybe they do eat some, some more insects out there. Yeah, that's awesome. So how come no one's keeping Kaznikovi? Well, like no one seems I to have and them. a couple other people are. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh they're kind of the same story, man. People get them and um 
they they either die off on them or they just don't do well and um they you have to keep them different they're not just your your regular vipera you can't just keep them dry they gotta have a little bit more humidity than your average um vipera and um i don't know they, they they're they're almost like uh a price eye they're almost they almost require what a price eye does so and a lot of people sense. can't provide that yeah. so so the animals don't thrive yeah is that the only viparia you're keeping right now because I, I saw some amadites on your uh instagram as well yeah and those are those are gone uh, a buddy of mine has all of those uh two two buddies of mine actually got the collection i split it up between them and they were cool man they they really were i i love i love vipera um seeing them in, in nature really amplified that for me. But, um, I don't know. I just, I lost interest and they weren't my favorites anymore. And I want to save the space in my cages for my favorites. Yeah. It is pretty crazy, man. Cause like when you hear people going to her trip, like, Oh, we're going to West Texas or, Oh, we're going to, you know, South Africa or, you know, Oh, we're going to Thailand, but dude, Georgia, like, yeah, yeah. who says to themselves, <laughs> "I'm going to go to Georgia and Azerbaijan on a herb trip"? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. I got a couple crazy buddies over there in Europe, and uh, they invited me, man, and I, I couldn't turn it down. You know, three weeks, and I went over there. I went to Germany, um, Switzerland. We did the Swiss Alps. Uh, we found the the melanistic Vipera aspis atra oh, cool. up there. I mean, wow. it was awesome, man. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nipper keeps reminding me that we're supposed to go to Morocco together. And uh, he told I'm, me I'm he'd take me to, to Greece. Yeah. Well, there you go, man. He better pay up on all these trips he's telling us he's going to take us on. You, you know, it'd be awesome. This is you and I have to get our asses off the couch. We should totally do that. You and me we can fly over that. there and he'll just, he'll, we'll be like, take us wherever you want. Yeah. We'll just, we'll show up in <laughs> London. We'll knock on his door, be like, give us the Boiga, we're going to Morocco. <laughs> and then the worst part about the whole trip is going to be how pissed Jake is going to be that you went on an airplane without him. <laughs> so, no, but I did tell, that's cool, man. I did tell Katie, it was like, if we ever want to go to the UK, I got hookups. Oh, yeah. I got the connects. Sure. Legit yeah. connects, the, the best connects. Do you so know? Are you do you know Nipper? Kaznikovai? Do what? Go ahead, Phil. Oh, I was gonna say. So, do you have Kaznikovai production in the works for this year or no? No, no, not for this year. Okay. Hopefully next. That's right, another awesome. species you, that's pretty small too, isn't it? You say that again. So that's another species that's pretty small too, isn't it? They're pretty small. Yeah. Um. They're they're. Yeah, I guess about the size of a, a big club, yeah. Very cool. Well, you know who your first two customers are going to be when you produce them. <laughs> yeah, I've heard I've heard that a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants those things, man. It's crazy. Yeah. What were you going to say? But they are. They're super cool, man. They really are. I was I was asking if Kyle knew Nipper at all. Uh. Uh-uh. No. It's kind of. No, the name's not familiar. Interesting, because I'm sure you guys share a lot of common interest, especially if you've been herping over there. You know, Nipper's herped 
freaking everywhere. He's number four in the world for having photographed, I think, every single European reptile amphibian, right? Yeah. He's up there. He's gonna he's gonna be pissed if I got that wrong. <laughs> He'll be all right. That's badass, man. Yeah. Yeah. That really yeah. is. Nipper don't play. He was saying he was saying I guess he would he would have been like number three or number two, but apparently there was like two or three species of frog or salamander that they reclassified, split it up. So now he has to go back and take more pictures. <laughs> Golly. So. I'd just say clean the title while you can, and then when they revise it, be like, when this right? was the way it was, I was number one. Back yeah. in my day. <laughs> All right. So being a Venomous guy, too, I also have to ask. There has to be, outside of you know the Montane stuff, there has to be a species that you either haven't kept or can't keep but really want? Like, have you ever mm. been interested in any other, like any of the arboreal stuff? Like, I'm a big Atheris guy. Uh, I used to do, I used to do eyelash. Um, I got really, really big into them there for a little while. I don't know if you guys are familiar with a guy named David Corneli, but um, he's probably one of the top guys in the United States to do eyelash. And I went up and visited his facility and, handpicked out a bunch of animals and stuff and um it was just the same thing i you know i I just i got bored with them very fast um they're cool they're awesome snakes they're 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 really cool they're beautiful um but they just sit there you know and they don't they're kind they're boring to me they're they're not terribly exciting i don't mean to ruffle anyone's feathers but they're not my cup yeah I mean, it is what it is, man. You know, uh, you know, Justin loves chondros, and unfortunately, they're not for me. Dude, you know, but... they're like yeah. one of the most boring snakes ever. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I'll be the they're first gorgeous, to admit it. They're boring. Yeah, they're they're that's the only that's their only saving grace is their eye candy. Other than that, yeah. I have never had a more sedentary and lazy species. Like I thought, balls were lazy. Like holy shit. <laughs> these things do yeah. oh my god I'm like you guys don't do anything it's amazing anybody takes enjoyment out of you well, yeah I think it's but also with the with the eyelashes I think it's also like people see the bright canary yellow golden eyelash you know in the bromeliad looking all gorgeous with its mouth open for that one photo and then they realize that 90% of the time it's up inside that bromeliad, never being seen, <laughs> waiting moving. for the anole to run across its path, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those just, those don't, those don't do it for me. You know, I, these, these, the stuff I keep, you know, they, they go hide at night or when they get too hot or when it's not moist enough, you know, or they're just, they, they have behavior. They have interesting behaviors. Right. Have you bred the Willard Eye? I have, yes. I've bred uh, Willard Eye Amabilis, the Willard Eye Silas, and uh, just this year, hopefully I'm I'm going to have some baby Willard Eye Willard Eye. Uh, I do have a legal pair that I imported a couple years ago from Europe, mm-hmm. and um, they, they finally bred for me last year. So, and I mean, those are pretty tough, right? Because Brent Schultz uh, from Venom Life, he he was on Snakes and Stogies with us recently, and he was on this podcast recently, and he's big into the the Montane rattlesnakes as well. And he was talking about just how difficult it was to find them. And yeah, I think he's mentioned that they're they're not exactly easy to breed either. But I could be could be wrong. No, 
They're not. Not. I don't know many people at all who have been successful with Withered Eye, Withered Eye. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about those little snakes, man. They're just, they're tough. They're tough to breed. Um, hope, hopefully, uh, my fingers are crossed. My female is huge. I mean, she's she looks loaded, and uh, I'm hoping she drops a good litter. And what's so like? What's so challenging about them? Is it a timing thing? Is it you got to get them super cold? What? I I wish I could tell you. <laughs> um, this is this is the first time that I've really tried to breed withered eye withered eye, and it it I lucked out. I lucked out, and it uh, looks like I'm gonna have some babies. So, did you see them actually uh, copulate or no? Oh yeah, I took pictures. I do that with all my snakes. I, I've had a couple of people question me in the past as as to uh, what locality some of my own babies were, and so now. I uh, I almost stay home at all costs during breeding season to make sure that I get pictures of every single pair that I put together locked up. That way I have, you know, if somebody wants to see, hey, you know, I'd like to have uh, this baby and then this baby, I can show them, hey, these are the parents locked up here. Then here's the picture of mom with all the babies. And that right awesome. there is your baby. You can see it with the mom just born, you know. That's so cool, dude. That is so cool. Yeah, I try to. I try to. Let me let me ask this too. Have you had any trouble with maternal, like, like post maternal feeding issues because mom still smells babies in the cage or anything like postpartum that? Postpartum depression. Yeah, postpartum depression. No, no, not at all. Nice. How big are the mm. litters usually? Um, it, it varies from species to species, but typically they're from about three to seven. Okay. And those yeah, seven is, is a big litter for almost any of them. Mm-hmm. If um, it is three, are they like bigger, beefier babies or no? Typically, yes. Okay. Typically they are. Cool. Now, so ever... I think a lot of that has to do with the health of the female. You know, I think they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Well, for sure. The uh the female, like you said, you've got the willard eye willard eye that you think is good and gravid. Do you ever palpate or ultrasound or anything like that, or do you feel like that stresses things out too much? So I do palpate in the beginning of the year, uh, around March, whenever they come out of of hibernation and they're starting to starting to warm them up, and I can kind of start to see that mid body swell. Um, I will take them out and palpate them, uh, just because I feel like they're still kind of in a catatonic state you know, from, yeah. from hibernation. And, um, yeah, I, I, I felt some, uh, I felt some in her and you can kind of, you can kind of feel the difference between ovum and, uh, unfertilized ovum and an actual developing egg mass inside of there. Very cool. Very cool. And how do you know, I guess off the top of your head, I mean, how, how common are, are, any of the clobberi or lepidus bites out that way? Uh, they're not too common, actually. There's there's not many at all. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think in the area we've had one for at least a couple of years. Yeah, and well, is was... it usually someone playing with them or? Yeah, yeah. It's always it's always somebody doing the wrong thing. Right. Right. That's what we were talking about on Snakes and Stogies the other night with Brent. Is like, you know, you talk about how hard it is to get to Willard Eye. Like, there's probably next to no recorded bites from those things, at least in the field. 
Yeah, I got bit by one last year. Oh shit! <laughs> really? Yeah. How yeah. Was, how was that? It was. It was like a bee sting, man. It was just. It was real weak. It was real. Was it like a small, small one? It was a small wither eye, yeah, but it just was a a really weak bite. I mean, it was real weak. Hmm. Now, do you feel like you just got you know residual venom on the fang, or do you think that it's just it had a a, a weak reaction to a big human? I, I can't say. It's it's hard to say. I I know for sure I only took one thing, so I got half of the potential dose that I could have gotten. But I right. still don't know if I got the full dose of the one thing or, you know, there's no telling. But um, I definitely did get some. And, it, I mean, it tingled and burned a little, but it it wasn't much worse than a wasp sting if, if, mm. if you've been stung by a wasp. Right. And, again, for the listeners, this was we do not condone, you know, don't try this at home kind of thing. <laughs> for getting bit? Oh, I meant specifically by them. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody should be taking a bite from any venomous snakes. Right, exactly. You know, I just, you don't, you don't know how each individual is going to react to a certain snake venom. So, of course, of course, I feel like we should just take the same precaution with the king cobra as we do with a, a small twin spot rattlesnake. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Anaphylaxis comes real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Well. On that note, we are at 125. Phil, did you have anything else you wanted to get into? I mean, I love talking to Kyle. We can we can keep this going for hours and hours, but uh, <laughs> you know, to be continued, so to speak. I, I think you answered the majority of our questions for tonight. It's awesome, man. Yeah, dude, we gotta get Stoke you on cool, snakes hopefully. and stogies. Yeah, man, yeah. for sure. Let me know. That'd be cool. We need to get you and Brent together. I'm sure you guys would go on and on about. Willard Eye and all that good stuff. Yeah, man. I, I if there's if there's one thing I love, it's uh, rattlesnakes and talking about them. Hell yeah! Awesome. Well, where can people find you? Um, I just have an Instagram uh, for right now, and it's my it's the name Klop King. Um, That's K L A U B K L A U B K I N G. They'll be able to find you because we'll be tagging you when this is posted. So. <laughs> cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we so appreciate it, tags. Dude. You were the Yeah, I first... appreciate you guys having me on the on the phone, man. It, it's, uh, it was cool. You were the first yeah, person man. me and Phil thought of without even talking to each other. <laughs> cool, man. That's awesome. I was Legit. like, who should we get? And Phil was like, Kyle. I was like, I was thinking the exact same thing. So. Yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. I'm glad you came out, man. I know... Uh, you know, you, uh, we, you and I talked about it before, and I was like, listen, you know, my boy Justin has a great podcast with our friend Jake, and we got to get yeah. you on it. And you were like, all right, well, let's do it. And I'm, here it is. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Sounds awesome. All so, right, yeah, good. I'm glad. I'm glad we did it. Yeah, man. We'll, uh, we'll holler at you later. Cool. Sounds yeah, good, guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks, bro. Take it easy. Later. Bye-bye. That was episode 83. Thanks to Phil and Kyle for joining me this uh, week. Um, Jake will be back next week. Please, once again, be sure to check out our sponsors, MP Cages and Exotics, and Steve Snakesuary, uh, Venom Hot Sauces. You're helping him educate the public, uh, helping him keep his snakesuary going, uh, and he's a firefighter. So, 
It's a good cause. He's an EMT as well. And uh, there's Phil calling me again. So we'll see y'all later.